And uh, this morning, kind of one of the questions that we're going to deal with is, should we follow Gideon's example? Should we follow Gideon's example? Let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to jump into the text and and wrestle a little bit with this section. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your blessing on us, just being able to be here in a country where we have uh, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, that we can gather together, not just in our churches, but also in the public square to declare the gospel. And we ask, God, that that freedom would continue. Um, We ask, God, that you would... uh, Uh, guide us guide our leaders Um, we pray lord as we look at your word this morning that you would open it up to our eyes and that you would teach us Uh, just thank you for the great opportunity to be here on the lord's day and all the activities that we have before us today both in sunday school um, worship and then the afternoon of lunch and fellowship Um, we ask that you would just uh, be with us throughout the, the whole day in christ's name we pray amen all righty Everybody doing all right? Cool. Everybody awake? There's some coffee out there if anybody needs any coffee. Uh, Let's uh, do a little bit of review here. Our curriculum is called Obedience and Disobedience. So we're moving into, we've been talking about Joshua, Judges. We will also eventually get to Samuel and a little bit of Kings. And so we're going to finish up uh, our talk about Gideon, and that's going to allow the the high schoolers and the kids to catch up with us. And so it's kind of providential that we didn't get through all the material last week. Um, so <clears throat> um, let me ask a couple questions of you guys. Oh, that came out really small. That was huge on mine. Uh, what is what problem is presented in Judges six? What problem? Okay, but what causes? That's good. Okay, so we got the Midianites, <coughs> but what's the what's the problem that causes the Midianites? Yep, Stan. Yeah, so they fell back into idolatry. Remember, we've got um, the second commandment. The first commandment is to worship only the Lord. Second commandment, we are to not make any idols. And so here we have another cycle. In fact, it's the fourth time in the book of Judges that we see God's people going back to worship idols. Um, What did God do about that problem? Okay, does he completely wipe them out? He he does, he does do some destruction. That's for sure. Yeah, Robert. Okay, cool. So so they fall into sin, <clears throat> and not cool, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so. Um, God, first of all, in the in the cycle that Robert's talking about, he delivers them over to an oppressor. That's that's the first thing he does in response to their sin is he actually delivers them to the Midianites. Um, And then there's some things that happen. So how did Israel eventually respond to their oppression? Yeah, they cry out to the Lord. So they go through, anybody remember how many years they're under the oppression of the Midianites? Nobody? Uh, No, it's the perfect number. Seven, there you go. Okay, so seven years underneath the oppression of the Midianites. If you think about it, that's quite a time. So it'd be like 2010 to now um, under the oppression of, uh, of the Midian of the Midianites, then they cry out to the Lord. Um, who is the angel of the Lord, according to our study last week? Okay, Brian says Jesus Christ. How would we come to the conclusion that the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ? 
What's a Christophany, Brian? Okay, so an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, good. So Brian's kind <clears> of <throat> putting some systematics together for us. Clearly, the angel of the Lord is identified as the angel of the Lord. But then in a few verses, like verse 14 and 16, it's, it, it calls the angel of the Lord the Lord, right? And so, and, and the angel of the Lord is speaking in the first person as Yahweh. So that would indicate there's, there's some sort of visible appearance of God. And then when we put our systematics together, could it be, is it the triune God that is appearing? Or is it one person of the Trinity? And so theologians have speculated that it could be uh, the second person of the Trinity because we know God is invisible. No God, no man has seen him, nor can see him. But God can choose to manifest himself in a physical or visible way. So since God chose to send Christ in the New Testament, by implication, theoretically, he may have sent Christ pre-incarnate in the Old Testament. <clears throat> What was the term that Milton used last week? For, he quoted somebody. Uh, it was Jesus trying on his his New Testament clothing. Who said that? You remember who he was quoting? That was a killer quote. So Jesus trying on his New Testament clothes. So, <clears throat> so by implication, it's Christ, but we do know it is a, an appearance of the Lord. What is Gideon's first mission and how did it go? This is all from last week. Say it again. Okay, so spying on the land. Um, they did later go down and and, the, and kind of listened in to a dream. They overheard a dream that gave Midian encouragement. <clears throat> that wasn't his first mission, though. Yeah, there you go. So destroying um, this altar to Baal. Some people call him Baal, Baal. I was being corrected last night by my daughter. I mean, one of my children. And um, <clears throat> and so so Baal or Baal. How did that mission go? All right. Yeah. So dad steps up for son. It's a very strange kind of scene that, you know, God says, "Okay, here's your first um, job. You're going to go destroy your dad's altar to Baal. And so Joash is clearly involved in the Baal worship. Either, you know, they they must have quite some property. Maybe they had a hill. And maybe he's just being a good citizen and the Baal worshippers say, can we put an altar up on your hill? And he's got a good business. And he's like, well, go ahead, put a altar up there. How about an Asherah pole? Okay, yeah, go ahead and do that. The wife of Baal, go ahead and do that too. And who knows? Or maybe Joash was also caught up <clears throat> in the worship or maybe he was caught, caught up in the syncretism. Uh, now, did when did, uh, how many folks did it take to... Uh, for Gideon to destroy the altar. Yeah, so he takes 10 guys. Um, so this is not a little tinker toy. This is a big deal. And what, what's another circumstance that's unique about when Gideon destroyed this altar? So he does it at night. So he's afraid, right, <clears throat> of what's going to happen. Sure enough, probably one of his 10 men rats him out. Next day, Everybody's like, who did this? Well, it was Joash's son. Joash comes out and says, hey, <clears throat> let let Baal defend himself. If you guys come after my son, you will be dead by morning. Um, so there's some standoff going on here. Uh, who in church history cut down Thor's oak? I couldn't remember the guy last week. I know now. But anybody know? it was we had mentioned this last week as a by way of comparison it was a missionary anybody know your church history or can you dust off your church history i was having all my alzheimer's attack last week so i couldn't remember it is uh boniface 
in this uh, around 720 something 722 he's considered you know how like saint uh, patrick is considered the missionary to ireland boniface is considered the missionary to the franks or the germans right uh, his his initial name is winfred <clears throat> but then the pope pronounces him boniface says go into the german lands uh, pronounce the gospel Boniface and some of his compatriots, they show up, they start preaching the gospel, <clears throat> but someone's already been there before them and but has preached Christ, but not Christ exclusively. And so they are worshiping Christ in a sense, but they're also worshiping Thor. They're also worshiping the spirits in the forest. Um, they're worshiping feminine deities, male deities, <clears throat> and Christ is just one of the many deities. And uh, if you guys remember the history, they're out preaching. They're trying to preach the gospel. Um, very little success. <clears throat> and um, and then there's this big storm and lightning storm that comes through. And everybody's like really worried. They're like, hey, Thor is mad now and you need to hit the road. And so it's there's this face off. It's either they're going to hit the road and give up <clears throat> or something else has to happen. And so Boniface goes out to this big grove of oak trees. There's one particular tree that was the tree dedicated to Thor, where all the pagans would dance around this tree and so on and so forth. And Boniface basically took an axe to the tree in front of everybody. And as the story goes, we don't know if this part of it's true because some of these medieval stories get exaggerated, but you, you don't know. So it's he, he takes an axe to it, but then a big wind comes and blows it over. And um, <clears throat> and then people are waiting for lightning to come down and strike Boniface. The lightning never comes. Thor just doesn't show up for some reason. And uh, and so they all the the city largely converts um, to Christ, Christianity, to Christ. <clears throat> they cut the tree up and they make a church a chapel right there in the in the grove. And so that's that's the story of Boniface. Pretty bold dude. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. It sounds a lot like Elijah. Yeah, let your gods <clears throat> cut yourselves cry out to your gods more. You know, let your gods <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. Uh which kind of sets up kind of what you see Gideon doing and Boniface doing. It really contrasts with our general attitude today. Um, obviously, we're part of, the, you know, the church is different from the role of Israel. Um, the Lord is not calling the church to go take up swords, but the Lord is calling the church <clears throat> to go out and spread the gospel. And so Boniface <clears throat> does do damage to false gods, <clears throat> not to people. Um, do a little bit of research on Boniface. I, I was doing this week and there is hatred and vitriol for guys like Boniface and even Gideon <clears throat> today. For Boniface, it's partly it's a couple different things. One is is the whole idea that's that's being taught in schools today. The concept that a Christian group of Christian missionaries would go in to these peaceful Germanic tribes that are just worshiping their own gods and peace and they have their own culture. And then they would come in and say, hey, convert from your false god to Christianity. That's just anathema to today's idea. And of course, they always lay out the story that the Hessians, you know, the Franks, these are just peaceful people we're just loving Thor and the spirits in the trees. And that's not the, the truth at all. Idolatry always brings bad consequences to a culture. <clears throat> the myth that is being taught today is that you can worship idols and everything's okay. You can just be happy-go-lucky with your idolatry and there's no bad consequences. Um, <clears throat> the other th reason why people hate Boniface is because he cut down a tree. And in modern in that in modern times, that's just anathema to go cut down an oak tree. Um, and so Boniface is not beloved by the pa modern pagans. He is not beloved by the modern green people. <clears throat> he is. In fact, I, I've you know, if you, I don't know if you ever waste time like I do and, and go on YouTube and 
and look at the comments like you'll see videos of Boniface and then look in the comment sections to see what people really think about Boniface and there's some nasty words <laughs> you know he he is spreading demonic Christianity and he's a murderer I've never read anywhere in history of him murdering any Franks or whatever um, <coughs> No, there does seem to be an a, a real conversion in that area. I think the the town's Geisler, Geiser, and um, <clears throat> there is a, a definite move <clears throat> towards Christ, exclusively worshiping Christ rather than just as a syncretism of the gods there. It's always tricky when you talk about the medieval period, right? Because there's some confusion on 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 what's going on. <clears throat> but we, as Protestants, we have to be careful that we don't just refer to the whole medieval period as Roman Catholic history. No, that's our history as any as much as it is their history, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, the medieval people, medieval uh, Christianity is our history. And we can criticize our history, but we need to be careful about not just giving that all up to the Roman Catholics. Um, <clears throat> it was out of the medieval period that people began to recognize hey, we've, we've allowed false teaching to come into the church and many people tried to reform the church within it and then eventually people felt like we can't reform it from within. Uh, you know, Martin Luther and others said we've got to separate and reform from, an out, from without. So all that to say, people like Gideon and <clears throat> Boniface, there are real enemies of Christianity. There are real enemies of God. And um, and God and throughout history, the church throughout history does real battle. <clears throat> um, let's go ahead and uh, in your guys's handout. You guys have a section called faith and fleeces in your book. I think it's page 41 or in your handout. <clears throat> we're going to turn there and we're going to read through Judges 636 to uh, the end of the chapter. And. <clears throat> this is that famous passage about Gideon looking for a sign. But I, I want to set it up by starting actually back in 33. <clears throat> so back in 33, then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And this phrase came upon, uh, it means he was clothed with the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, one version, I think it was the Revised Standard Version, says that he was possessed by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abbey Israelites gathered behind him. Does anybody remember who the Abbey Israelites are? I don't know if we talked about this last week. Okay, good. Yeah, so we see him over at the wine press. So remember, he's from, is Gideon from uh, Manasseh or Ephraim? He's from Manasseh. That's kind of like the big one of the 12 tribes, right, of Israel. But then he's got a clan that he's also a part of, and that's the Abbey Israelites. And then he says, I'm uh, low on the totem pole, so to speak, of the Abbey Israelites. Um, so he blows the trumpet. They gather behind him. He sent messengers all through Manasseh. So that's his uh, big uh, tribe who were gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came to meet him. So you've got four of the 12 tribes that are gathered together against the Midianites and the Malachites. And this is just the Midianites gathering for their yearly just let's take everything from Israel fest, right? Kind of like Bugs Life. We talked about Bugs Life last week. Here come the big locusts and grasshoppers. They're going to take everything away from the ants. And that's what these guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, so this is the tailgate party prior to the invasion. Everybody's like, yeah, all right, here we are. We're going to go just take everything out of the land. And so, but this time, normally, what do the Israelites normally do according to what we learned last week? Yeah, they go up into the hills, there's caves and dens, and they're still there at time of writing, right? At the time the book of Judges is being written, 
the, the writer can say, look, you know, up in those hills, those caves, that's where they used to go. <clears throat> um, so, but here we have Gideon being clothed with or possessed by the Spirit of the Lord. Then verse 36, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece on wool, a fleece, a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early in the morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a uh, bowl full of water. <clears throat> then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, <clears throat> but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. <clears throat> Who is unfamiliar with this story? This is your first time engaging this story. Okay, good, that's fine. And so you guys understand <clears throat> what's going on here, right? There's a, a, a piece of wool. Uh, Gideon basically is saying, hey, Lord, <clears throat> we're about ready to go to battle. This is pretty fearsome. We find out over in chapter 8, verse 10, there's 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. That's a lot of people. Um, so he's shaking in his boots a little bit, perhaps. He says, Lord, if you're really going to de deliver them into my hand, I'm going to put this piece of wool out on the ground overnight and I want you to make the wool wet from dew, but the but the ground all around it dry. And that happens. <clears throat> Next day he says, Lord, please forgive me. I want to try one more thing. I'm still <clears throat> I want to make sure that you're with me. Can you make it really wet on the ground overnight? But the piece of wool will be dry. Does that <clears throat> the Lord performs that miracle. And so then he seems to have his sign. How are we to interpret this passage? <clears throat> How should we think about Gideon? You guys probably read the material that's in our curriculum. Maybe you read the article I sent a couple weeks ago. What do you guys think? Let me ask, I guess, the first question. What kind of literature is this? Okay, so this is historical narrative. So we always have to remember when we're coming into historical narrative, um, is every action meant to be didactic? In other words, is every action prescriptive? We should follow the example of every single action carried out in historical narrative. No. no. Okay, so we know that sometimes in historical narrative, you see some really cool things. And you're like, that's great. Other times you see the other things, you're like, I'm not sure, that's not so great. Maybe other things, it's kind of neutral. Yeah, Stan, you had something? It's interesting that he's building on top of it. You know, he doesn't need to keep putting God to the test. Once he proves the yes of the God, he can then come to the truth and be glorious. Yeah. And so it's kind of didactic. It's kind of what I've been having out of that passage and having that discussion. Okay, grow out of it. Okay, yeah. So Stan's saying it's not necessarily bad to have an adolescent level of your faith, right? <clears throat> we see the, excuse me, uh, the disciples, the first time Christ comes along the disciples, he just says, follow me. Right? He doesn't say, leave everything and follow me. But he doesn't say, oh, by the way, when you follow me, there's a good chance that about several years from now, you'll be crucified upside down. He doesn't necessarily tell him that. Um, or you're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake right out the gate. You know, pretty much follow me. Um, so, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Barbara. Yeah, so, <clears throat> why, yeah, how would we say this is not testing the Lord, right? We do see commands not to test the Lord. 
Um, so yeah, that's a good question. Let's go Alice and then Stan. Right. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, so theoretically the Lord could have said no, right? <coughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, maybe he's not being disrespectful. He just wants to know what the truth is. Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, are you sure, Lord? And <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, he's probably got at this point he's got what is it 27 or 32? I forget. Yeah, the 135,000. I almost kind of have this vision of like Lord of the Rings, you're looking out over the orcs. And you're just like, "Oh my, what in the world?" <coughs> How are we going to do this? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, Zechariah, the angel appears at Zechariah and says, you're, you know, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. You're going to name him John. He says, how am I going to know this? Well, you're going to be dumb for until the birth of the baby. And then you'll <coughs> realize that. Yeah, I what happened to him? Yeah, Manoah. Anybody remember what happened to him? Or, but it's it, it is an interesting uh, question that's been debated for really many years, not just in church history but Jewish history. Yeah, Gary. Yeah, so Gary says <coughs> God chose not to punish Gideon. <coughs> I think it's a good point. Um, as we're seeing the narrative, <coughs> I think what we're seeing is is a very human hero, as it were, right? This guy, when the angel first appears to him, where is he? He's th he's threshing wheat, kind of hiding in the in the wine press. Remember we talked about that's a low kind of area very difficult to do the work down there but he's hiding <clears throat> the angel of the lord says oh mighty men of valor you will deliver israel and he's like How, how's it going to be me very typical when the lord calls some of his leaders moses acted the same way um <clears throat> just a it's it's a very interesting scene throughout scripture when god calls upon people they frequently sell are self-effacing lord i how how is it that i'm going to be able to do this <clears throat> um and so Gideon has that kind of response. And then he says, hey, let me do something just so I know that this is really you, Lord. I'm going to go make some food here for a second, stick something in the microwave, come back and, let, and, uh, and let's see if this is really the Lord. Actually, in that scene, <clears throat> I'm almost kind of wondering if that isn't pretty wise, given how many false prophecies, false angels that you see throughout redemptive history that Gideon wants to know that this really is the Lord telling him that he's going to be this deliverer. So we, you guys remember from last week, the Lord consumes the sacrifice. Then what's Gideon's response? 
I'm going to die. Oh, I've just seen the Lord. And so God, then God has to speak more direct divine revelation to him. One of the things that we can miss, overlook, is that God is speaking directly to Gideon. This is not a period of direct divine revelation. Not everybody is having these conversations with God. And so God is revealing direct divine revelation to Gideon. You're going to go do this. Okay, now what, I want you to go destroy the altar. Okay, but I'm going to do it at night. <clears throat> and then the Lord, uh, you know, then he's about ready to go do his, his business. He says, okay, Lord, can you please give me these signs? And whatever we think about Gideon's request, the Lord accommodates. <clears throat> the Lord accommodates. He gives he he does the miracles that Gideon is asking for. And uh, and then from there, Gideon goes out <clears throat> and, and with his army. And so I want to I want to lay out. I guess what would amount to three different perspectives of this. Yeah, Wade had something. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a great point. Really good point. Yeah, Cynthia. Yeah. Great point. So God looking on the heart, he knows what's really going in there. Wade was talking about the Lord even giving another sign that Gideon really didn't ask for. They go down there listening, over listening, almost as kind of has like this Henry the fifth kind of feel he overhears this kind of um, dream and there's this big rolling what is it a bagel or <laughs> what is it it's a that comes rolling into the into the uh, the village and then they say I had this dream and the God of Israel stood up for them and, and beat us uh, yeah Barbara had another thing quarreling okay is that when they were that's when they were like complaining about why do we have to keep eating this manna and what wish we were back in egypt and so that was their testing as you did back there that's interesting so they tested the lord with their complaining and and so on and so forth yeah I, it seems like the the heart might be part of the issue here nate Right. Right. That's good. Yeah, so is it <clears throat> what's the attitude? Is it kind of like, "Oh God, you must prove yourself to me." almost like God's got to do my bidding <clears throat> or is it like Gideon Gideon some commentators say that Gideon sounds very much like Abraham back in Abraham or in Genesis 18 oh Lord do not be angry if I might ask another question what if there's only 
30 righteous. Lord, if I could just ask him one more question, I hope you're not angry. What if there's only 20 righteous? And he seems to be having that type of disposition, even the way he's asking this. There was one other hand. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. So beginning of his faith walk. What was the thing you said at the very beginning of your statement again? That's right. Test the spirits. Yes, we are commanded, especially what Gideon does earlier in the chapter. You know, he's testing to see if this is really the Lord. That's great. <clears throat> so I think there could be three different views on, on this. Is uh, Either Gideon is um, testing the Lord in a way that's borderline sinful, but God accommodates him, understands his fear and immaturity, and, and, goes, goes and accommodates his request, but Gideon should have just trusted what the Lord had said previously. Or <clears throat> uh, another way to view it is Gideon is is testing the spirits or just he's just looking for confidence it's not necessarily sinful it's um he's just looking for a confidence boost and here's the lord giving direct divine revelation is more than willing to accommodate that confidence boost Um, i want to suggest that you know we may not know exactly but we do know that god did accommodate his request and we do know that this is a time where God was giving direct divine special revelation to a guy like Gideon. And because it is in a narrative passage, here, here's what this passage doesn't say. It doesn't say Gideon requested for this miracle about the fleece. God accommodated Gideon. Therefore, all you Christians for all the rest of the church age, whenever you have any doubts about God's written word, ask God to give you a special miracle sign to know that what God's word says is really right. So here's an example of what you should never have to do. God, I know that, you know, 10 years ago I got married, but I've fallen out of love with this woman. And there's another woman at work that, I really love. And so if you will cause that woman to call me from work in the next 15 minutes, I will know that it's from you for me to divorce my current wife and go be with this other woman at work. Is that what the Lord would call us to do? Is that what he's trying to teach us from the fleece passage? Clearly not. And yet you will. I remember chat with a gal years ago who had fallen back into a relationship with an unbelieving boyfriend. And when I was questioning her on it, she said, well, why did the Lord bring him into my workplace that day wearing the type of cologne I love and, and brought him into my work at when I was most vulnerable and to her, either God was unfair in testing her that way or it was God that brought the unbelieving ex-boyfriend into her work to basically say, I want you to date this guy. <clears throat> and that's clearly not what the Lord is never going to say. Hey, look for a fleece as a way to disobey my written word. The other thing we need to remember is, <clears throat> is this is a time when the written word was not available. God is giving special divine revelation to his deliverers and prophets, not to everybody in Israel. But today we've got his written word right here. And there's so much right here that we can obey and give to our children. Um, when it comes to other questions about, you know, what school should you go to or what job should you take? There's lots of other uh, wisdom on the pages of scripture, like <clears throat> getting wisdom from your church, talking how would the Lord guide you when, as you're talking to your church leadership? If you're married, are you consulting with your husband or wife? If you're a child, are you consulting with your parents? 
Um, are you walking in obedience to the Lord in all other known areas? Um, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. <clears throat> There's lots of places we can discern the wisdom of the Lord. In my opinion, from a New Testament Christian perspective, we have to be very careful about laying out our fleece, so to speak. Because how do you know <clears throat> whether, I mean, the devil is a being in the universe too. And we are all prone to deception. The Bible, t- the New Testament tells us that. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had people tell me things like, you know, I, um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I was thinking about whether I should take this job over in this other state. And then all of a sudden, like that guy called me and said, hey, would you like to take this job in this other state? And I was just thinking about it. And then he said he was going to offer me more money. And I was just thinking we need more money. And then, you know, my favorite city in Arizona is Phoenix. And he said, it's going to be in Phoenix. I'm like, whoa, is this the will of the Lord or what? I was just thinking about that. And then they, but they didn't consult with their wife. They're not talking to their Christian friends. They don't talk to their care group leader, anybody at their church. All of a sudden they show up and they announce to everybody, guess what? We're all moving to Phoenix. The Lord showed me. Oh yeah. What church are you going to be going to there? Oh, I don't know. I'm sure there's some good churches there. We'll find one. There's the other principles. Any any other thoughts that you guys? So it, for me, when I look at the story of Gideon, I see God in his love sharing divine, direct divine revelation with a guy who's who's going to do some pretty amazing things, but is probably still on his training wheels, so to speak. And God's coming alongside of him and giving him an encouragement with this direct divine revelation stuff in an era where there is no written word for him to refer to. And, uh, but this is in historical narrative as, and, and it's, it should be something that encourages us that God cares about his people and he guides them. But I don't know that it's here so that we could all do our own little fleece experiments. That's, that's my view. What do you guys think of that? Good. So there would be no doubt, you know, that he was the one that was orchestrating all of this um, and what was to come after it. And he's glorified by that. He's glorified at the time and he's glorified in our reading of the historical narrative. Great. Because we can see it's all God. It wasn't him, it was all God. Yeah, so God is ultimately getting the glory. He's setting all this stuff up so he'll get the glory. He is the ultimate hero in this narrative. Yeah, Nate. Yeah, I think um, kind of situational... How did you call it there? I like that phrase. Situational revelation. Yeah, I would say um, like it to, in today's era, in this church age, all the revelation that God wants us to have is in the Bible. Uh, all the special revelation is right here. Um, but it is the Bible, uh, the special revelation in the Bible that does point us to other factors that will help us get wise wisdom for life. He's put us in relationships with people, parents, uh, pastors, Christian friends, you know, multitude of counselors type stuff. And um, and so as we apply those biblical principles and then we know the overarching theme that God is guides us in his providence and his love, um, that we can expect to see God guide us throughout our lifetimes. But I don't think for me. Like when when Katie and I decided when we went to move up north to go to seminary and move up to do youth ministry up in Lebec, I never got divine special revelation. There were circumstances that occurred that opened up that opportunity. And I could have said, whoa, this opportunity has fallen in my lap. This must be the will of the Lord. And and maybe that it would have been. But in that situation, 
My wife and I prayed. We consulted with one another. We went to our elders. We said, especially because this was having to do with pastoral ministry. First of all, does Cornerstone think I'm qualified to one day be a pastor to go to seminary? The elder said, yes, we see the Lord's hand on you. Yes, we are behind you. And we affirm your move up north, even to this church called Lebec Community Church. And back at Linden Street, they laid hands on Katie and I, and they sent us up north. So when we went up there, we hit some tough times. But I'll get I'll tell you what we didn't question. We didn't say, oh, no, we made this decision all by ourselves. What have we done? Or maybe we missed the will of the Lord. If I would have just gone by if we would have just gone by our heart and just said, oh, these circumstances have opened up. and, And I think we're following our heart. And then we hit some of those tough times. We would have been like, "Uh oh, maybe we should have talked to Pastor Milton on this. But the fact that it wasn't just us, but Cornerstone sent us up there. I'll tell you, that was such a relief when we hit trials and difficulties. And eventually the Lord brought us back to Cornerstone in 98. And it was just very, you know, we there's times where we look back and there, there's a, there's some sorrow that we have. We left a church up north where some kids crashed in their faith. We weren't ready to leave. But the Lord clearly brought us back through the elders of both churches. And and so we we're, we can trust the Lord that that was his will. And then as soon as I got back, I found out I had cancer and I had medical insurance. And so the circumstances clearly lined up, but it was our leadership <clears throat> that that we were trusting that helped guide us and so for me that's one of the from a new testament perspective it's one of the reasons one of the reasons why i think it's so important for christians to be connected to a local church underneath leadership that they can trust doesn't mean your leaders are perfect but that you are willing to arrange yourself underneath your leaders and say these are the leaders that God has given me. I'm the leader of my home, but I'm not an island. I'm not like the, I'm not some dictator of my home. I, I'm underneath the leaders of Cornerstone. And my home is underneath this leadership. And that has, <clears throat> that has been a blessing to our family for years. That, does that make sense? Yeah, Wade? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That was Psalm um, 37. Yes, yeah, so Wade is making reference to Psalm 37 uh, 5. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So yeah, a lot of times on those these circumstantial things, we don't necessarily know what to do. <clears throat> we're we're crying out to the Lord. We're getting counsel, and then sometimes you just have to make a decision. And even in that, I was studying this week on the concept of waiting on the Lord. What does that really mean? Because we're going to sing about this morning, and <clears throat> the idea of waiting on the Lord is really to rest yourself underneath the providential care of God, and realize that His both His decisions and His timing are best even if it we can't understand why it worked the way it did. And so many of these decisions don't always turn out. It's not always, you know, we don't always have like Gideon, God just appearing in the night and saying, go do this. We have his word and then he's calling us to use wisdom. And even then, as you just look throughout the pages of scripture, sometimes things don't work the way you thought they were going to work. And yet we're called to wait upon the Lord, right? Ultimately trust in his decisions, his providence and his timing and um, and that's a tough lesson because, you know, sometimes you think you you make a decision that you thought was the right decision. It looked like you were using all wisdom and it just doesn't work out. 
and that's just part of that's part of God's providence as well. Um, I, there's a lot of folks in our church that have been w- looking for work and jobs, and <clears throat> and um, they tr- they've tried to do this and that, and it's been very difficult, you know, for several years. We do know that the Lord is commanding to work, right? For our, our our men need to work, take care of their households. Sometimes you go out there, you know, and I know one one couple. The guy was out there just beating the pavement every single day, just doing what he could to provide for his family. He's you know he's a middle aged man and just couldn't find anything. So eventually his wife just had to go out and apply, and she got hired right away. And that's not the way they wanted it, but it's the way it had to be. You know, it's just the way the the cookie crumbles. Hey, I just want to say real quick, we all might need to get together um, afterwards because my husband texted me from the lobby and told me not to get so soon because he's a big hater. So John says, uh, don't get crazy. He is the dictator of his home. <laughs> so that's Uncle John. Okay, that's that's cool. Yeah, proceed with caution. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the Gibeonites, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so human. <clears throat> and here's the Lord just entering, accommodating himself to this very human situation. Yeah. Yeah, that whole story where, like, God commands Israel to go in and take the land. They come back. They're freaked out. They know no, we're not going to do it. So then God says, okay, you're going to die in the wilderness. They say, okay, we'll go do it now. And he says, no, don't do it now because the Lord's not with you. They go in and they get just reamed, right? Um, well, let's let's see if we can do a little bit of chapter 7 before we're done. We got about five minutes. You guys, most of you guys probably know the big idea, but let's read through it and make a few comments starting in... Uh, Oh, let's start in verse two of chapter seven. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And twenty two thousand people returned and ten thousand remained. So 22,000 people were afraid. This actually has precedent. I think it's Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. Somebody can look that up for me if, you, if I got it right. Where, um, you know, the Lord would say, hey, if people are afraid, don't make them go into battle. Uh, they'll actually reduce the morale of the other troops. Is that it? <clears throat> 20, verse 8. Yeah. Wow. I'm so impressed. So verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon... Uh, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one will go with you. The same shall go with you. And of him, I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon. Okay, so the Lord doesn't really tell him in advance. Here's going to be the test, right? He just says, take them down to the water. I got a feeling that if the Lord would have told him the test in advance, Gideon would have been like, What? How are you talking about, Lord? But he just says, take them down in the water. Uh, so then in the middle of verse five, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. Now, I read like this long journal article this week trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. <clears throat> and by the end of the journal article, I discovered that throughout church history and Jewish history, everybody basically comes down to this bottom line. What in the world is going on here? <clears throat> There's various views. There's all kinds of views on w- even the Hebrew here. Some people are suggesting the Hebrew is wrong. 
There's no textual evidence, but they try to move phrases around because one commentator says the ones lapping the water should be the ones that get down and do the the push-up drink, right? That should be the lappers. But no, it's the ones who get down and do the push-up. They're the ones that are kind of drinking like a horse. And the ones that are lapping are the ones that take their hands cupped and then lap the water out of their hands. And everybody's just like, why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? <clears throat> and so so then some people say this must be just an idiom. Uh, it's not meant to be taken literally. In fact, one guy saw somebody in the Middle East somewhere. Uh, water was flowing out of a fountain or spigot, and he was doing this type of thing and getting water in his mouth with his hand. And so they think maybe these 300 soldiers were cupping the water and throwing it into their mouths really fast, kind of like my hand would be the tongue of a dog. Some people say, Josephus says, the ones that are getting down like this and cupping their hands are the cowards because they're keeping their eyes up because they're afraid. Other people say, no, it's the real wise soldiers that are getting down and looking up because they're staying positioned and ready to fight. What nobody really seems to deal with, whatever the method means, why are there only 300, 3% of the soldiers end up doing the cupping lapping thing? If it was the really, you know, wise thing to not get down on your belly, wouldn't you think it kind of be half and half or, I mean, these are probably well-trained soldiers. So I don't know, but the Lord, you would never say, hey, let's get a a group of special ops and let's get all those that lick the water like a dog. I just you would never come up with that. And so this is just pure speculation. My wife thinks it's poppycock. So that tells you right out the gate, you know, um, actually, both my wife and my daughter, I shared my viewpoint and they're like, I don't know, Dad, that's a stretch. But if we take this literally, there are people cupping water, bringing it up to their mouth and licking it like a dog. I, my speculation is that out of these 10,000 soldiers, there's a some of them. There's a few of them that have been in battle one too many times and probably took a couple licks on the head. <clears throat> and there's just something wrong with them. Maybe they've got some eyes that are looking wrong directions Um, maybe they've had massive concussions in battle. And so there are people that are just what, you know, and I say this in, in, in the literal sense of the term, they are idiots, right? They just, something's wrong with them. And so God takes the 3% of the 10,000 that something is really physically wrong with them. So wrong with them that they're lapping their water like dogs and says, yep, I'm going to deliver Israel out of their hands. And so you really have a motley crew of 300 people that nobody would want to go into battle with. That's my theory. Tar and feather me. What do you guys think? Trumpets. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, these are maybe special ops. I'm just trying to figure it's either an idiom, but if it's just an idiom for drinking water hastily, Why are there only 300 people out of 10,000 drinking water hastily? Some people say it just means drinking fast. Why would that would it would seem like it would be more of a 50 50 split, wouldn't it? (coughs) Right. Now, there are some translations. I think it's the new revised standard or new revised standard. They try to go with these Hebrew scholars that say basically the Hebrew text is wrong and they move words around. I, I'm not in favor of, with no textual evidence whatsoever, I'm not in favor of just moving words around because we think this, that the text is wrong. Um, so anyway, it is a problem. People have not agreed on it since at least Josephus and back. Um, but what, what's clear is that God chooses to deliver Israel with only 300 people. And, yeah, say it again? That's the point. That's the point. <clears throat> now, everybody knows the left hand is the toilet paper hand. That's the other thing I was thinking about. Well, in the, yeah, oh. even to this day in the Middle East, when you go to the restroom, you use your left hand. 
And so it could be that they're drinking water out of the right hand and they're lapping it up. I mean, it's just hard to hard to tell. You eat with your right, you go to the restroom with your left. Even to this day, that's true. Well, the point was they're unprepared. There's no way that those 300. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the 300 that are chosen. And my there's some people think that the 300 really studly soldiers. I think it's 300 motley crew that Gideon would look around and be like, well, I'm sure glad I did that fleece. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not winning any battles with these guys. And so, and then the strategy actually is kind of interesting because remember back in Jericho, there was only seven trumpeters that trumpeted around Jericho. And then the wall, was it seven? Seven priests. So they walk around and then they trumpet. And so one commentator was saying, the Midianites would have associated one trumpet with several hundred, maybe a thousand soldiers. So to be surrounded by 300 trumpeters, all of them trumpeting at the same time, was probably a freaky experience. In the middle of the night, uh, there's a good chance that they thought that there was 300,000 soldiers. Plus the Lord obviously is doing his little thing that he likes to do. And so they all turn their swords on one another and we'll have to finish this up. Then they take off running. Then everybody who had left rejoins. You have reinforcements now. It's not like the 300 were running these guys down. If you look at the text carefully, the reinforcements come in. They run them down. They eventually, you know, <clears throat> run them off the hills, kill many of them, get these two big kings. One is like called, the literal translation of his name is Wolf. And the other one is, I forget, Wolf and something. And uh, so they track down these kings and uh, and the Lord, you know, gives them peace for many years. Um, we won't talk about at this point some of the challenges that Gideon faced at the end of his life. <clears throat> Most good Hollywood stories say the end, you know, and everybody rides off into the sunset. In the Bible, it's real human stories where Gideon leads the group and they have lots of glory and success for a while. And then there's some problems towards the end of his life. Any final questions, comments, criticisms, or concerns you guys have? It's about the condition of the heart, not whether we're testing or not. Yes. We're told to try God and see if tithing doesn't work for you. We're also told don't test God. That's right. Uh, I like that. Yeah, so the condition, that's a good theme that Stan's given us. So it's a condition of the heart. We're called to, yeah, try God, you know, um, at the same time, not test God. Um, <clears throat> we were sitting around last night as a family having devotions, and uh, Katie just said, man, I just love the Old Testament. And there's just so much good stuff in the Old Testament, so many real human stories, God entering into history, doing his will. Um, again, this is a period of darkness in some senses. There's not a lot of information. Remember when we set this whole thing up, Midianite worship or Canaanite worship was the number one religion. But now we've got this time, I think it's about 40 years now of peace and people are worshiping the Lord. And then it's going to crash again. We'll, we'll hit the next judge. Yeah, it's still, still going on. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and pray if you guys... Oh, yeah, Brian. <coughs> Remind Katie of Romans 15.4. Yeah, these things were given for our instruction. Yeah. Katie, like, she... I made this deal last year that whoever reads through the whole Bible gets 300 bucks by the end of the year. And Katie won her $300 like in December and uh, I was like well I was thinking I I kept threatening her I was going to pull out a couple pages of Jude from her Bible and come back and say oh you didn't read the all of Jude but she just loved reading through the Old Testament and Judges is just great I don't don't know if, if you've ever sat down and just read through Judges in like a couple sittings it's just fantastic reading it's just great uh I I know we're over Last thing, that story of uh, Boniface, if you want to read a a really killer version of that, there's a book series called History Lives 
written by the Winthros, Winthros. And the particular book that this story is in is called Monks and Mystics. And you might be like, oh, I don't want to read about monks and mystics, but it's just, it's a little history of the medieval church. And these folks, this is a husband and wife team that worked down at Westminster. They are such good writers and they do great research. And, but they make it, it's like little historical stories. There are many historical novels, novelettes. And the one on Boniface is just, fantastic it's called monks and mystics the series is called history lives it's written for like teenagers which is probably why i like it um but it's it's just they're very good writers and um they really do bring this stuff to life um let's go ahead and pray lord we thank you so much for uh you're the ultimate hero of redemptive history we see you we love just seeing how you worked with Gideon, just bringing him along and building his confidence. Um, thank you for using him. <clears throat> we know that there are real enemies in this world, the devil, the flesh, uh, the world. Um, and yet you have called us to love our enemies. Um, you are the judge. <clears throat> and so we leave judgment to you. We pray, Father, that we be able to go out with the gospel, see many of your enemies come to know you and become your friends. Uh, we pray, Father, that these um, this historical information that we're reading about would be a great boon to our souls. Um, we pray, Father, you'd be glorified and lifted up the rest of this day of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.